out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we'd love a special guest. This week it's going to be a producer. I know, check me out. It is going to be Shell Tammy, who worked with such people as The Kinks, with You Really Got Me, uh, The Who, My Generation, also The Easy Beats, Friday on My Mind, and David Bowie, and also hundreds of others throughout the 60s and 70s. This is the interview, and... Um, There was a little bit of confusion about how we were going to be doing this. But anyway, we got there in the end. And uh, his his CV is phenomenally impressive. But anyway, so we got down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years, which is going to, um, yes, Shell, tell us more, tell us now. I grew up with American Songbook, obviously. And... uh... I listened to a lot of music, and the first um, thing that was an American songbook that really got my attention was G by the Crows, which is R&B, and I got really into R&B and all the rest of that stuff, and um, uh, I've always liked music. I've always listened to a bunch of it. We had several radio stations here in L.A. that played everything that was current, so I had plenty of opportunity to listen to whatever was going on and uh just just kind of went on from there yes and um i i I used to buy these crummy little uh terribly on written on terrible paper uh weekly things that had lyrics of all the things that are out there so i probably know lyrics to hundreds of songs so (laughs) yeah uh and were you what were your um parents were they at all kind of interested in musical art or, or sort of at that period because they obviously no, were... no not 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 at all my dad was a dentist and my mother was just a plain old housewife and um, no I, I i don't think they ever listened to music well they must have done sometime but uh it wasn't important to them let's put it that way yes and how did um i mean kind of interesting in that sense that I was kind of, you know, born and raised in the East Anglian region of the UK. I mean, we were obviously during the Second World War very affected by, you know, everything going on from from sort of Europe. And obviously there would be the kind of the, um, I suppose they called it the friendly invasion of the American Air Force that came over. Were they at all had any connection with the, the Second World War in, in their lives or any sort of brothers or even being... No, no. Not, not really. I was a small kid during the Second World War, and uh, uh, I mean, I, I was aware of it, and uh, I was certainly aware of it when it finally ended. And but you know, that's it. My my parents had nothing to do, had no involvement whatsoever. I mean, they're all by that time too old anyhow. Um, and um, I mean, yeah, I, I think. It certainly was extremely important, but but that's it. There was nothing special that involved us. Yes, yes. And and as and as the kind of fifties, I know you know kind of approached and um you know the musical landscape started to change again. I know when sort of people like David Bowie or Lemmy from Motorhead mention you know their early influence, they often talk about Little Richard and. Buddy Holly and Eddie Cochran. Yeah. I mean, did these kind of characters 
and um, musicians and singers and performers, did they sort of enter into your sort of life in any technical? Absolutely. You're not talking about the 50s, which is a whole different era from the... Uh, Yes, I took a great interest in who was doing what to whom and listened extensively to what was being played on all the various radio stations that were available. Yes, and as and as that kind of decade progressed, then we had the sort of there's the sort of different forms of jazz, and then there was the sort of the beatnik writers of you know Jack Kerouac yeah. and Allen Ginsberg and Ferragetti. Did 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 you sort of become sort of swept up in a kind of a, a kind of artistic movement? You know, both you know written musically or even kind of kind of in the world of I think, art. I think the easy answer is no. Uh, I was never into beach poetry and all that kind of garbage. That's what I thought it was. And um, I was interested in music. I was interested in sports. Uh, I was interested in getting good grades, which I did. And, uh, of course, I I did start out, as far as showbiz is concerned, because I was a smart-ass kid and got good grades. A teacher sent in my name for a show called The Quiz Kids, and I was on there until it went off the air. And um, I loved the idea of being in showbiz, so that was a turning point for me. I was only 13 at the time. um, Yes. uh, I started getting interested in anything to do with um, entertainment. Yes. Did you, um, because you went from Fairfax High School in Los Angeles... You, yeah. you you sort of finished in 1955, um, which, which is obviously the the world, you know, a lot of amazing sort of producers and singers have come from there. Then you worked, started working for ABC Television as a as a sort of recording engineer. Um, did were no, you? No, 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 wrong, wrong. ABC was uh, I was a page. I did cue cards. I did floor management, and then I realized that. I was not willing to put up with the politics of being at a major corporation where everybody was out to kill each other. So I quit. And that's when I got into recording engineering. And I met an English guy who, in fact, owned a studio called Conway Studio. And uh, he offered to teach me how to be a recording engineer. And I said, that's great. I will absolutely want to do that. Yes. And that's how I got into music. Right. And did you ever have any moment of wanting to be a performer or were you just interested in the production engineering? No, I said, no. Being on the Quiz Kids proved to me I did not want to be a performer. I wanted to be in back of the camera or, you know, whatever the equivalent was. And um, so no, it never occurred to me to be a performer. I had no, no interest in doing that. Yes. And then, and what was the moment, or how did that opportunity come in the early 60s to come to kind of, this is when you came to Britain for a, a sort of a five-week Europe? Well, it, all, it all has to do with um, Bill, who owned the Conway Studio, I said was English, and he kept telling me how wonderful England was. I said, finally said, okay, fine, I'm going for five weeks, I'm going to see England, I'm going to go to Paris, and all that kind of stuff. I was in my early 20s. And uh, and uh, 
it's, you know, before World Passing By, I should do all this. I'll be back in five weeks. I already had a deal back here in L.A. to produce stuff because uh, I have been, as a recording engineer, I produce all the wrecking crew and, and uh, a whole bunch of other people who took notice of what I've been doing. So I had a deal. Anyway, so that's why I went to London. And uh, the rest of the story is that... I didn't have a whole lot of money. I thought it'd be nice if I could work for a couple of weeks there. And my friend, Nick Benet, who was at Capitol Records A&R, I told him I was going. And I was going to try and become like, uh, produce things, uh, which I hadn't really done much of as an engineer. I said, here, take my acetates, which I did, and tell him that uh, you did them. And when I got there, I had an appointment made for me with Lower Decca, and I said, Here's what I just did, which was Google's uh, music in the air and Beach Boys surfing safari. And he heard him, and he said, You start today. So um, by the time they found out it was all bullshit, I had a hit with the bachelors. I had a very big hit with the bachelors, and I decided um, I, to stay on because uh, everything in, was, I noticed, was really happening big time in terms of um, what people were about to be doing in England, in London in particular. And um, I thought this would be a great, great place to be to stay for a while and see what happened. And of course, the British invasion then started. So mm. um, I, it was a good decision on my part. I think, yes, a wise moment, actually, on that front. I mean, it was, yes. And this is kind of when, is this the time when you'd done... You done a um, you done a few singles with was it Chad and Jeremy, including the summer song and yep. Will a Week for Me. Yes, I did Chad and Jeremy. Yes, I did, and I found, of course, I then I found the Kinks and uh, and uh, that and that led to the Who Who found me because of what I did with the Kinks, and I did the Creation and I did uh, a whole bunch of other people. <laughs> yes, well, absolutely. And then with the Kinks, you got you know, which is you really got me as one of those kind of landmark tracks that right. came out. I mean, this is on the on the bit with because there's this kind of bit about um, Jimmy. Was it Jimmy Page um, was the ses- session musician during that? Well, no, Jimmy Page. I, I don't. This, you know, I must have answered this question five thousand times. Jimmy Page did not play the lead guitar. And you really got me. I hired him for the album as a really guitarist because Ray wanted to concentrate on singing, not playing rhythm guitar. That is his only involvement with me and the Kinks. Yes. Um, uh, it was Dave Davies who played the, uh, the, 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 the lead and the solo and who continued to play all the leads and all the souls and all the things they did with the case. Yes, because obviously, I mean, did you get that sense? Because obviously you you were sort of of an age that you, you know, you, you weren't that, you know, young. So it was, you had a bit of more sort of life and experience and maturity. Did you kind of get that sense as 60, the 60s appeared, you know, 62, 63, that things were really starting to change really rapidly from, you know, you mentioned the American songbook and, you know, people like Lonnie Donegan and the sort of folk oh. traditions and the blues. Did oh. you suddenly feel, wow, something is happening and and you're kind of 
got the tools to to be part of the surfing as sort of cultural zeitgeist. Well, when I excuse me, when I got to London, I was very close to King's Road. I hung out on King's Road. I got to know damn near everybody on King's Road, and and it occurred to me as I was noticing what was going on that everything was about to explode, which it did, in not just music but in films and in art, uh, fashion and and everything else. And um, I felt I was in the right place at the right time. Uh, it was a great place to things, including the fact that uh, sexual mores had changed, and that, and after coming from uh, California, where everything was pretty strict, being there was a nice change. So you know, <laughs> yes, uh, even the weather would have been. Uh, and that's in... why I stayed for seventeen years. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean, it, yes, it's kind of interesting how um, you know a lot of people. You know, they have that chapter, don't they? I've, I've sort of noticed doing this show that there's there's often an ability to be within a scene for a sort of five, ten years, but you're obviously there a bit longer. But often, you know, I don't know, from anybody, from people like Mick Rock, who had their kind of photographic world very much in that 70s period, even though he did work in other decades. I mean, he, he definitely yeah. captured a moment. And then, and then you sort of obviously, you know, I mean, apart from the kinks, you then sort of, hear the early sort of Pete Townsend and the Who work as well with, you know, you've really got me and I can't explain. I mean, trying to, you know, trying to explain to, you know, your sort of, say, bosses and, and label managers, you know, what the new sound was when sort of often people are a bit stuck in the past. What was that kind of experience of almost creating kind of a new sonic landscape? you know, for you? I mean, you know, sort of realising that music was changing so rapidly at that point. Well, as far as I'm concerned, when I was there, rock had just begun to start. So I had spent lots of time as a recording engineer working out how to get better sounds than were going on at the time because they were uh, pretty simplistic. And I uh, brought that with me, and um, obviously it worked because I, I came over with uh, knowing how to, because I spent a lot of time working on how to mic drums with 12 mics, and which I was told I couldn't do because the mics would phase, and I was like, I guess you just have to listen. And a month later, everybody was trying to get 12 mics on mic, on drums. Um, I was very aware, aware of, of rock and where it was, I thought it was going, and that's what I was concentrating on. Yes. I mean, is it, because um, obviously, you know, in the world of rock and roll, as we all know, things get a bit excitable. I mean, what was, you know, looking back on your relationship with The Who, and especially Kit Lambert, I mean, that didn't sort of, as with most kind of relationships in the world of entertainment, don't doesn't end well. Was it? Was there always a sort of a bit of tension between the yeah. two of you? Uh, let, let me be candid. Kit Lambert was one of the biggest pieces of shit I ever met in my life. He was a nasty piece of garbage who was a, uh, uh, a, a dedicated gay 
asshole who was hitting on young boys, which really pissed me off. And um, and he was, he was he was garbage, you know. And um, he was not my favorite person. <laughs> no, I, I got. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and, uh, and and what happened <clears throat> with the Who, which was typical, is that he of course got jealous of the fact that uh, I was I made I'd never made anything with the Who but but it by the way, and uh, uh, he sent a letter, uh, kind of you know breaking my contract, uh, which of course I was not going to stand for. And I sued, and of course I won. But of course, the other, you know, the bad part is I never got to record the Who again. No. So, uh, but, but you know, if I made up financially, I made up very nicely. But you know, I still I would have preferred to record the band because I, I got on very well with the band. I was doing some good stuff for them. Yes, it must have been. Um, did did sort of you know say Pete Townsend? Did he find that difficult at that stage to sort of lose? kind of you uh, who had been so kind of influential in in sort of creating that kind of trademark sound and also being able to capture what they were trying to do you know pete's a very smart guy and uh was he affected of course he was uh but he was going to go with the flow because uh things were moving ahead and and uh and uh, Lambert and Stamp were allegedly doing things for him, which, of course, they never really did a whole lot. They eventually were fired, as I'm sure you know. Um, but he, I think he just went with the flow. He wasn't about to uh, rock the boat and say, you know, uh, you know, screw you, I'm going to go with the show. So, which I perfectly understood. Yes, so, <laughs> it's 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 yes. <laughs> I was not a manager had, and had no desire to be one. <clears throat> oh, that's a tricky one. I know it's amazing how long that sort of, I don't know, it sort of, was it 2002 eventually there was a proper reissue of, of kind of some of the original session tapes of my generation? I, I, I honestly don't know. I never paid a whole lot of attention. <clears throat> what I, I won in the lawsuit was royalties for several years after, uh, after this, this whole debacle. And um, and all I was concerned about at that point was getting paid from Universal, who tried to cheat everybody. In fact, what I wound up having was an ongoing audit, the Who and I together, um, with with a forensic accountant who, uh, who, of course, found all kinds of stuff that Universal uh, was supposed to pay us and didn't. So uh, there you mm. go. So look, as I mentioned. Probably at the beginning, was because my first, you know, single and first love was thankfully not Gary Glitter, which was close, but it was David Bowie. Um, I mean, obviously, you then sort of pick up Bowie in the sort of the mid '60s when he was still sort of doing various kind of interests and bands. And no, actually, I, I picked up Bowie early in the early '60s, and all the stuff I did with him, I thought he was going to be a huge hit, and the market was like six years or so uh, uh, taking place six or more years to really get onto where David Bowie was at. So all the stuff I did eventually has started selling. And in fact, <clears throat> I have eight tracks I did with David that nobody's ever heard and they will be going into an NFT platform shortly. Oh, so, right. 
So, oh yeah, so because um, you did Pity the Fool and you've got a habit of leaving. Yeah. But did you yeah. say you also have other material as well? Yes. Yes. Okay. And when, and did you, and did you say that's still to come out? It's about to come out on an NFT platform. Right. Blimey O'Reilly. That's exciting. There's a lot of, there's a lot of Bowie stuff coming out. I mean, as the 60s progressed, obviously, you know, we, we sort of trundle happily into the psychedelic world that was the Summer of Love, 67. There was like Monterey Pop Festival. There was, you know, the golden, you know, the gathering of the tribes yeah. in San Francisco. In, in, in England, there was the 14-hour t- Technicolor Dream Ali Pally with people like Pink Floyd there and Joe Boyd had yeah. helped organise. Were you sort of picking up on, you know, the cultural as well as the social and musical revolution, were you kind of excited by what you were seeing and, and sort of, I suppose, being oh, part I think of it? Probably, probably a mixture of the excited and the appalled because a lot of it was garbage. Um, and, 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 all, and the fact that there were too many people taking too many drugs and dying from it was also pretty appalling. Um, I, uh, I did not really get particularly involved with all those things. I did not do drugs. Uh, I didn't want to associate with people who did. And uh, so I was basically just making records. I did not go to any of those uh, events. Yes. And um, in retrospect, I'm delighted I never went to any of them. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I mean, with with you know, with with the sort of the the work you're doing. I mean, the intensity during the '60s is kind of quite boggling. I mean, I, I remember recent, well, not recently, a few years ago, I did an interview with Barry Miles, who did, I don't know, International Times, and he was part of that scene. And I, I was kind of curious why and where he got to in the '70s. And he said, for him and a lot of his kind of friends and colleagues that he'd worked with, you know, by the time they got to the '70s, they were just they were sort of exhausted and just felt like they yeah, I know that's, that's true I agree with that and I started getting burned out as well and uh, and towards these like the middle of the 70s onwards I was kind of I probably should have come back to LA earlier than I did about five years but I didn't um, because I was enjoying being there but uh, he, he was absolutely right and everybody I knew was getting burned out I, I, I had not realized until a good time later, how much time I actually spent in the studio and, and how many uh, artists I actually recorded. I mean, I've, I've got, I now have a, uh, both an historian and an archivist, and um, I've got more than 700 tapes of things that I've done. So, yes. uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of which are now about to come out on um, all the various platforms. Yes, well, I'm, I'm excited about David Bowie's um, release for obvious reasons. I mean, were you, you know, w- you know, what was the sort of the criteria for who you wanted to work with and who or work for? Because cause the the amount of bands, you know, there was obviously people from Roy Harper, Manfred Mann, The Creation, um, yes, Pentangle. I mean, Eamon Corner. I mean, did was it just people that that were you know like you particularly liked or had you met or cool. or who were on the late on, on a particular no, I like, uh, no I was I was actively looking I as I'm sure you realize because you obviously have done your research I was always an independent producer 
I never worked for a label um, and because I really did not want to. And, uh, and so I consequently went looking for artists I thought that were really good that I could produce. And that was my criterion. Yes. And um, uh, that's kind of how it worked out. It's in, you know, it's just kind of interesting how how prolific you were during that kind of period and sort of the kind of variety of stuff. I mean, did you feel as as the kind of the sixties had sort of progressed and then we got to that point there had been Woodstock and then obviously as the seventies yeah. happened, you know, there was the death of Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, there was Altamont and obviously the Charles Manson thing. I mean, this was obvious, you know. Y- you obviously were in, you know, in the UK, so probably didn't pick it up quite so much. But did it? Did it feel like the '60s that you'd, you know, been so much part of? Did it feel strange in, as as the new decade appeared? That... Well, I, I think the best way to try to describe it is that I, I obviously noticed, and I would assume that anybody with any intelligence noticed that the '70s were certainly have changed to being different from the 60s. Um, it wasn't as much fun. Um, there uh, was more nonsense going on with uh, how artists were going to be signed. And, uh, yeah, it just it's a whole bunch. It, 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 was, it wasn't nearly as much fun as the 60s were. The 60s were one of the great decades. I would not have changed that for anything. The 70s, yeah, I could have changed it. Uh, especially after the first two or three years. The last few years were, um, I don't know, boring, I think is probably the best way to put it. And uh, like I said, I probably should have come back to L.A., which I didn't do, which is, you know, which is my fault. But there you go. Yes, these things, these things happen. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, when you sort of, because obviously, you, you, you know, what was it like sort of on that level of seeing people like David Bowie suddenly, after you know spending most of the sixties, you know tr- trying different little bits and having a certain amount of success, and then suddenly it felt like every, like the planets lined up during that period of the early seventies, and and suddenly he took off like a rocket. Oh, absolutely! No, I, I stayed friends with David throughout his life. He was alive until up until the time he died. Uh, there, no, I have no regrets. I I wish to hell that the stuff I originally did with him had been huge hits because uh, he did not really depart a whole way from what we did when he first started getting popular. Just that the market finally caught up with him. And, um, uh, you know, I know David was great. I I have nothing but respect for David. Yes, well, I mean, he is, you know, I mean, I've always been fascinated how he managed to navigate one decade and one period. Uh, well, nobody could. Nobody was better at reinventing himself than David was. <laughs> no, that's uh, right. And it was what was quite interesting because I've done quite a few interviews with people who'd worked and produced or played with, you know, David or, or musicians. There was a guy who was in a very early prog band called Clouds. So I think they were one, two, three, and then it became Clouds. And you know, David Bowie kept kind of 
in, well, not kept in touch, but after they sort of had a slight falling out in the very early 70s, he sort of started going on about how important this band had been to him, you know, about 20, 30 years ago. And suddenly this band suddenly gets, re- not reinvented, but discovered again after being completely forgotten in the 60s. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. David David has a sort of great loyalty. Did he did he have a similar relationship with you if wanting to keep... Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. That's why we stayed friends all that time. I mean, um, I, uh, I would have liked to start to be, to have recorded him when the, when the market rediscovered him, but that didn't happen because he was already ensconced with, with the producers. So there you go. Um, but no, we stayed friends and uh, he, he was fine. I, I, I always liked David. Uh, I never knew him to be mean or nasty. And um, and the fact that he always remembered people is, is, is also an excellent aspect of him and uh, which I appreciated. Yes, because it's cause kind of interesting because as the sort of 70s kind of progressed and, and you, you sort of been working with different people, you, you sort of do a, an album with one of those bands who starts to take off kind of the sensational Alex Harvey band and and I know from yeah. talk no they, they, they came and asked me to do the band, to do the band yeah um, which was fun and was the only backstory in that I can tell you is that the the band was from the, the Gorbel section of Scotland and for the first week I needed an interpreter I couldn't understand a goddamn word they said <laughs> uh, finally I finally tuned in so um uh, but yeah, but, you know, they were a very good band. I enjoyed doing that. That was fun. Yes, I know because I done an interview recently with the guitarist um, Zal Clemerson, who's still doing little bits and pieces and has had a you know an interesting career. And I know that he was sort of talking about the, the kind of the in, in interest and complexities of being in a band and what albums started to work and then what part of the the story of the band starts to sort of become more difficult and then, you know, as you kind of imagine. So you did an album which was kind of, I, I suppose, the third album, which becomes this lost one. Did that, was that kind of a particularly tricky kind of period, you know, with, with working for them? No, I think it has to do with their management. Uh, a couple of whom died in a plane crash, I believe. And um, they were, prior to that, not particularly involved. Um, so I don't know why the album was re-released several years later, um, and um, what has done up, to, up since then I have no idea. Yes, I've not kept in touch. It's always... And of course, Alex died years and years and years ago, way too early. Yes, so, an amazing talent, uh, really. I know. Yeah, and when you know, because you know, it's kind of interesting. As I mean, during the seventies period, did it, and you, when you went back to LA, what was the, what was the general sort of kind of scheme of things for how you were going to then tackle the next period of you know your career and life? I actually did a whole bunch of other things. I uh, I that I started actually doing that in England. I started. I had a book publishing company. I started getting into uh, stock market and all that kind of stuff. I, I just had a whole bunch of things that interested me. And when I got back to LA, that's primarily what I did. I did not initially do 
much in the way of recording. I finally got back to it. In fact, I'm still recording today, and uh, and like that. And I, I I never intend to retire. So no. <laughs> and what was it like working with the great Fuzz Tones? Because you you sort of there was that kind of well, the Fuzz Tones really Petrucci was was an absolute jerk that uh, the whole band disliked intensely, which is perfectly understandable after working with them. <laughs> uh, but however, we, we did, you know, regardless, we did a good album. Yes, that was right. <laughs> yes, we Petrudi. I know. I did an interview with him a few years ago, and um, I don't know. He's still, he's still struggling. I think he's in Berlin still sort of doing his, his thing. Is he alive? He is still, still he is still alive. When it, well, I I did this interview with him, and he, yes, he he's um, still keeping it together. Va- well, vaguely. I mean, like I said, he's he's somewhere in Berlin, and uh, yeah, he was uh, he he's definitely still alive. So, as, you know, one thing that's kind of interesting that I've noticed, especially you know in music, is that with the most bands, they have a bit of a five year narrative. They get together for 12 months, practice, rehearse, they might get a single. And in this country, the UK, you know, we had this DJ called John Peel, and John Peel, you know, was always looking yeah. for the next new band. And then if they get a session, a, a single played, they'd often get a session at the Maidavale Studios, which was just brilliant for the band. And that kind of gave them that kind of motivation to keep going and do an album. And, and as you also realise in the UK, which is a small, tiny place, isn't it? It's You could fit it in the back pocket. You know, you, you you know, every and every city and town has a sort of venue. You know that means that bands can go and do a bit of a tour, which gives them that a bit of enthusiasm, and they can definitely get the second or third album. But you know, when when you look at, you know, also you know, like I mentioned, Mick Rock as as a photographer who did his work, especially in the seventies with David Bowie and Lou Reed and and that glam period. You know, producers also have a similar kind of often period where they they get a sound which is suddenly like everybody wants them and then often things change again don't doesn't it because you had mickey most you know say in the 60s and then you know in the 80s we had people like the trevor horn production sound and everyone wants trevor horn so did you did you find yourself thinking you know trying to keep interested or keeping on the kind of say well, I, I, I i didn't find any diminution of uh, people wanting me to do stuff. I What I found was I was getting burned out. And um, that's why I eventually uh, closed down a lot of stuff I was doing and eventually did almost nothing. Uh, yeah, but you're certainly correct that uh, yes, of course, everybody has uh, periods where they're in and Periods where they're out, or you know, combination of, of both, and uh, whether they want to, they get you know uh, reinvented or whatever the case may be. As far as I'm concerned, um, uh, I, I, I said I'm, I'm back in the music biz. What I've been doing, as you probably know, is a, my Facebook page is I've been doing vignettes on all the people I've produced and stuff like that. And I know of thousands of recruiters, which I did not anticipate, but that's the case. So that's what I've been enjoying doing lately. And um, I, I keep looking for artists to record. I haven't really 
haven't found anybody that is really interesting, unfortunately. So, right. Anyways, have yes. A couple that are supposedly I'm, I'm going to hear momentarily. So, anyways, I've been doing a lot of mixing as well for people. So, uh, and that's 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 what I've been doing a lot of. And what do you um? So, I mean, when did you start to sort of get the interest and kind of the the sort of enthusiasm to to get back into music after sort of decades of going into other well, well because i mean hell it was my career basically throughout my life uh you know i yes i took time off for doing other things because um that's the reason they really gave you uh and eventually that passed and like tons of other people i know who have done exactly the same thing they got back into what they originally were doing because that's what they like to do, and that same thing applies to me. Yeah, and did um, I mean obviously because you've done a lot of work on your you know sort of Facebook page with bits and pieces. Have you been tempted to then think I really need to put my book together and and tell the story? Has that sort of you know especially in lockdown has that sort of passed your mind at all? No, actually, what I've had I have had hundreds of requests to put my vignettes into a book and I have been on the lookout for a publisher with whom I could work on this and so far no luck but I am persisting and eventually I will get everything I've written into a book yes um, to do a, an actual biography or autobiography no not interesting but what I've just been doing though for the uh, for the Facebook page is certainly more than adequate um, than me writing another virus. Yes, well, I, I, I sort of saw your piece on David David Bowie and his kind of, um, yes, first recording composition, which is kind of fascinating. Mm. It is, it is. You've got an amazing memory, haven't you? I'm sorry, what? I said you have an amazing memory for detail. Uh, yeah, uh, yes, memory is still pretty damn good. You know, uh, uh, I also I did keep notes, which which helps. So I, ha- I have been able. I've got I can, I've got a bunch of reference stuff on my computer that I've where I've made notes, and so I can refer to those. But generally speaking, my uh, I, I have pretty good memory of all of most of the sessions I did. There are some I are you know uh, more memorable than others, but. Generally <laughs> uh, speaking, I I can get it. Anyway, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I I have an appointment that I've got to get to in about fifteen or twenty minutes. So, um, if you if we've done enough of this, then I would say thank you very much, and because I'm going to have to say goodbye, I'm afraid. Yes. Well, look, this is absolutely amazing, and thank you again for your time. And sorry about that slight time I- issue, but it's been. Hey, hey, it worked out fine. That's good. It's it's all good. Anyway, look, have a lovely day. Take care, and thank thanks you. thanks again for this. This is brilliant. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Take, take care. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. Fascinating. I hear you say well, that's uh, Shell Tammy, who, as we talked about, has done loads of people. So, um marvellous stuff and hopefully we'll one day bring out a book 
This has been the C86 Show. I'm David East. So if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do C86 Show. Keep it positive and groovy. Also, all these have been archived. Lucky you. So you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. C86 Show. That's what you got to do. Anyway, have a great week and stay safe.